welcome to the Yana Podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, your stories of strength, and get all in our feelings. Our hosts are Becca and me, Danny. We work for NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. NAMI is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization, and our mission is to build better lives for the millions of Americans that are impacted by mental illness. Our roles at NAMI Philly involve working with the youth in the community, so we have a special passion for empowering young people to shatter stigma and help them know that they are not alone. Yeah, so therefore, we decided to start the YANA podcast, which stands for You Are Not Alone. The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language. Listener discretion advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome to the Yana podcast. So we are very excited to introduce our guest today. Um, If any of you recall the episode that we had with Junio Martinez, uh, our guest today um, is good friends with him, does a lot with him. It's very much in the world of soccer with him. So um, today we have Paul Catrino. And Paul is the founder and captain of Sporting Serotonin Soccer Club. Love that. Staff writer for Brotherly Game, co-host of Views from the Bridge, your second favorite Philly Union podcast. Um, And I will let him give you all of his socials at the end, but all around awesome guy. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks for for having me. It was nice uh, talking to you, Danny, earlier on and then getting to be here. This is great. Yeah, I'm so excited for everyone to hear all about you. Oh, are they? Are you you (laughs) sure? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think beyond anything, like listening to men especially talk about mental health is so powerful because like, you know, mental health is so stigmatized in general, but definitely, you know, um, so... All right, I'm going to let Danny take it away right now. Yeah, so um, I guess we can start with what we always do with a little check-in, um, our NAMI way. So I'll go first. Um, uh, well, I, I too am a little bit all over the place, um, despite of, you know, everything going on. Um, in today's world. Um, But sometimes I feel like we forget to be grateful for the little things as well. So I've been trying to just practice gratitude in the most simple ways. I'm grateful to even, you know, just be here and get to talk about mental health. Um, As Becca was saying, it's very stigmatized. So I love that we can have such a casual conversation. um, And I'm grateful to be able to do that. Becca? Um, that, that was a beautiful, beautifully said, Danny. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have been all over the place. I, 
I've shared that I just, this is still my birthday month. I <laughs> turned 40 <laughs> this month, which is still like shocking me beyond belief. Um, I know it's just a number, but. Um, she actually turned 21. Oh uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're all going to say. Okay, cool. But it's just like, it's just a weird, um, it's just a weird number, right? Um, So anyway, so I've been, but I've been doing some celebrating still. I went away with my mom and my best friend and my niece, my two-year-old niece this weekend down the shore. And it was beautiful weekend um, and just really relaxing. And um, I just feel so grateful that I have such wonderful women in my life especially a time like this um, that we aren't currently in. And I know we don't get into politics, so I won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, so I just, um, yeah, um, I'm just kind of reeling with everything that's going on in the world, but also like being, like you said, Danny, grateful, trying to be grateful um, it was pretty cool watching the first black woman be sworn into the Supreme Court today. That's not political because that's just a thing. Um, it's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah, um, just right. deal with it. yeah. So that was pretty, that was pretty cool. So I'm just trying to be, Cory Booker said, um, they will not steal my joy. No one will steal my joy. So that's where I'm trying to be. And um, yeah. So Paul, how are you? Uh, I, I don't want to line up too much but I am all over the place um (laughs) well no this is uh the beginning of summer has been a bit of a rough month and uh being able to at least identify that early on has kind of really helped me try to focus on long-term perspective instead of dwelling in like the short-term chaos uh it's been yeah, it's been a lot. I'm back in school. I'm trying to finish up college. I'm supposed to graduate in May. So I'm taking a summer course and that com- that course is accelerated and really hard. And it's just a big thing thrown into all the planning I do with soccer and all the things I'm dealing with at home. Uh, right. And now, you know, I'm, I'm about to take a vacation uh, later, later on this week. And it's going to be nice. I've been fighting to get here and it's been just I know that some days are going to suck but right now when you get to this point at least you know you're going to have yourself a break and now just my level trajectory is as high as the sky I can really just kind of let myself get to a point here and then I know it'll come back down but at least I'll be in a good mood while I'm going about it once I get back from vacation so yeah it's been a it's been a nice and well-needed uh thing I've been working towards so today is definitely a good day even though I'm looking at an open suitcase next to me <laughs> I'm sure I haven't brought enough for yet listen I'm not even going to show you my apartment because <laughs> you're not is... even seeing my background so yeah <laughs> I mean that's why I have the windows behind me yeah. <laughs> which is not really the best lighting but um I just have to say like I feel like June is a weird month like it's supposed to yeah. be like so fun because it's the beginning of summer, you know, but like, I, I don't know. Like I always find like January and June are like, I feel weird. It's like, mm-hmm. maybe like the mid, you know, the mid periods or whatever, the mm-hmm. solstice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, cause I do think that the light affects me. Um, like the, the changing of the 
periods of light and dark you know absolutely um my like uh what do you call that my call it the like your sleep cycle or whatever your oh okay yeah Mm. what do you call that circadian rhythm ah yeah because like when it's light out at 8 30 and I like to try to go to bed at by 10 like that's it just it feels weird you know <laughs> I think that's why my sleep schedule has been like real wonky remember I was telling you I was like I don't I haven't been sleeping yeah well I haven't been sleeping well um so I don't know Maybe. yeah well I mean I love I, I mean I, I I appreciate like the the light it being mm-hmm. light later like especially having yeah. like, a full day of work but I don't know. I also like nighttime. So I like having the, like, out here. I like having like, the, like quiet low key dark. creature of the darkness. Like sometimes <laughs> I just look at the outside and it's night. Yeah, but I don't like to be up super late anymore. So like yeah. having there be only a little bit of darkness is not good for my anyway. Anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> she says that a lot. I do. <laughs> Well, part of your story, I think we can relate to each other on. So, but let's, so let's get into it. So Paul, tell us about yourself. Tell us, you know, you can start wherever, start from the beginning, anywhere you'd like. Sure. So like log cabin, 1684, just like (laughs) anyone else. No, Um, I, I really grew up in a nice fostering family. It was um, my mom and dad are amazing people. Uh, And you know, from a young age on, I was very much uh, open like they were. They like to make people laugh. They like to make people happy and plan and bring people together. So, you know, I kind of molded my personality around, let's get out there and, you know, try to do that. And uh, I was a real dork about it, uh, real young. It was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't ideal. I, uh, I was on the tail end of bullying for a long time as a kid. Uh, a long time and it really took uh till high school to kind of like find any semblance of a lane where I could I didn't have to be around the same people all the time I could do things on my own like I kind of found individuality in there Mm -hmm. but no one else was no one else was there really like Mm -hmm. everyone had kind of you know moved with people and I kind of moved on my own uh so can you tell us a little bit more about like are you willing to talk a little bit more about bullying the bullying I just like I think that well I mean from for me for instance like I think I I've I've been hearing more and more about like different stories revolving around bullying and there's like ways in which people were bullied that I like didn't even think that that was bullying and I think it's really important for people to hear you know, like what behaviors are, are hurtful to others and why, and what, and, you know, and how, how that affects who you are and how you, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it from like the early years of like second, third, fourth grade was just kind of a targeted exclusiveness, Mm. like creating Mm. things for the sake of creating a thing that you can't be a part of. Um, yeah, when you when you look back on it in hindsight the things the things themselves the entities that were being created were just dumb little clubs or like dumb little groups and stuff but it was like existing 
specifically to keep people out and then yeah. when there were attempts to be made there it was like just you know beratement like get out of here no way yeah. kind of things and you know that that's really started in school uh, I was Catholic school K uh-huh. through 12 um, so that that area of like second to fourth grade was pretty rough uh, got out of that school eventually and you know it wasn't uh, it got better in the semblance of it wasn't really targeted but my attempts to try to still be myself weren't met extremely well I, I can admit when I'm a lot my family's a lot we're loud Italians and it's just <laughs> it's how it goes you know I just uh, I didn't find a very like constructive or uh, cool like calm way to go about that it was kind of I was very uh, abrupt and loud but I was it wasn't from a place of uh trying to be a center of attention it was just trying to find a semblance of fitting in yeah yeah so um you know that that's definitely tough when you're like not confident in yourself and you just keep trying things and trying things and you know high school was a lot of lane changing because I was mostly alone Mm -hmm. uh and you know it was me trying a bunch of different things I played you know five different varsity sports in high school I was in a bunch of well yeah like in different years like I would just I tried to find foster my love of soccer going into high school and I found out how exclusive that social tier was to be like in with the soccer club and you know I just instantly hated that and got myself out of there and I found track and cross country which was nice you know uh, damaging on the body but nice it was nicer it was people who you know a bit more like quirkier and more open and I was able to see that there was at least that kind of uh that kind of community there with people who were like that well, I think it's interesting because um, that's more of like an individual sport versus a team sport yeah. where you're able to like be, you know, so like if you look at it like representatively, there are people that are willing to like be on their own, you know, because they compete on their own. And exactly. You know, so, ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you it, know, I just got to really say was. that I was on the track team for one season and I got the underachiever of the track team award. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Just like do the runs because they tell you to. And no, I would, I would start the run and then I would go like hide behind a shed and smoke cigarettes and then join them for oh, the last lap. God love that for you. That's so good. <laughs> Absolutely had people like that. Yeah. 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 Kids yeah, don't do I, that. I, I had... <laughs> So my thing was I had like no real vices in high school. Like even though there were like opportunities for me to like go do stuff, I was very much like, no, I'm an athlete. I can't do that. Like smoke will kill me. Alcohol will destroy me. Very much in that mindset. Uh, (laughs) But uh, the senior year of high school came and I got recruited to be on the football team because someone knew I could kick in soccer and they asked if I knew how to kick a ball uh so I said maybe I can I showed up and I was able to do it and then all of a sudden I'm the starting kicker for the varsity football team when I've just kind of been this person that's existed in people's yeah like that's like you know the top the the jocks like the top guys like the football guys 
Yeah, exactly. So it was like a very weird culture shift for me. I was like, all right, I guess just this is what I'm going to do now. Mm-hmm. And I found that like the people who I was like, you know, not not like anxious or I was super anxious to like even have to interact with or things of that nature. They were nice people. And they were like, it was nice to be able to speak with those people and kind of, you know, open up a little bit and talk to them mm-hmm. candidly. And, you know, it was like being part of something kind of opened that door to be able to interact with people that I wouldn't have the chance to in the first place. Hmm. which was nice you know it certainly wasn't my cup of tea but it was nice to like experience it and take that as I went to college for theater production and design of all things so like you know and no one was going for that on the football team like I really didn't have anything to discuss (laughs) with that so I was doing football then then doing like stage managing and lighting design for my theater production company (laughs) in the winter that's awesome like I said any lane I could fall into that I felt comfortable in I was willing to give it a try which was nice so but that's nice that it was like what you felt comfortable in like I feel like when I was in school I was like trying to like so desperately to just fit in wherever I could you know not necessarily where I felt comfortable so that's really admirable that you were just you were choosing where you felt comfortable right oh my yeah well that was a lot of trial and error too like I said you know I mean it it was definitely me jumping around and going oh wow this absolutely doesn't work and Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of and it I'm saying it as casual as I am now back Mm -hmm. then I absolutely was not I was like this is a mess this is the last thing I was going to try like I if I can't fit in here then I can't fit in anywhere yeah it you know it was bad I feel like that's how it is with like with everything though but you were doing the darn thing and like figuring out what you liked um because just me thinking about what I was doing in high school, like, like what Becca said, I was just like trying so hard to like fit in with everything that I didn't even really know who I was until later on in life, because like, what the hell was I even doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange. Cause like those, those like avenues that I found that led me to a comfortable place in, into a college experience Mm-hmm. aren't really things that are like prominent factors in my life today it's just I needed to be able to get that clear enough path to college where I really did find my you know way forward that was mm-hmm. really crazy but you know high school's when I started going to therapy and started getting prescribed antidepressants and mm-hmm. anti-anxiety medication and you know, because at least at that one point in my sophomore year, I was like, this is awful. I, um, I think I'd, I think I'd rather not do any of this. And, you know, when you, when you start telling that to a counselor, they want to make sure you're okay. And right. it turned out I really wasn't okay. And mm-hmm. I kind of knew that too, but it was nice for me to be able to at least verbalize that. And, you know, my, my family had Wait, no idea. Uh- um it's just interesting that you brought up that you were talking to your counselor um like what was that like because we've had like other 
people come in that didn't have like the best experience yeah. with their school counselors. Mm-hmm. So, um, how, like, what did that look like for you? Like yeah. opening up to them? Um, it was, I mean, it was good. It was, it was good at the school I was at. I was at Paul the six high school in, uh, in Haddon township and, um, they had a, they had a big department for it. You know, one that wow. was definitely accommodating for, um, for the students there. Um, okay. for the first couple months, you know, it was them trying to help me recover grade wise because I was an honor student in grade school and I totally fell off in high school because like I said, I was alone. I didn't have study partners. I didn't have any of that. And I was basically just fighting all my academic battles myself. Mm. So it was them trying to get me back on track there as to what I can do better to stay on top of myself academically. When in retrospect, I wasn't even on top of myself mentally. Like mentally, I was just like spiraling and I was, you know, I was a mess. And one day I came in and really like verbalized that to the woman I had been speaking to for a couple months. And she was like, she went through the formal steps of asking me specific questions. And the answers were that of, you probably need to go to a crisis center. I think you're not, I think you're not okay. And I think it's okay that you're not, but there's more help for you there than what I can do for you here. Wow. So immediate, immediately parents are in immediately. We're at the hospital immediately. I'm in a room and there for, uh, it felt like days, but it was a lot of, a lot of, you know, talking about things that I had never talked about before, like with my mental health and right. Them so figuring you were out that, in like, a yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it, I wouldn't have gone there if it wasn't like, no, you need to go, you know, right. like, it's just, no right. one, no one wants to be the one to tell you that, but when it's at that level, it's, I'm being real with you right now. Yeah. Like, you should. And I'm glad I did. I, yeah. I am glad I did because now I have a semblance of balance. I take medication every day and it's not messing with my body. Like it was a lot, there was trial and error there for sure too with mm, milligrams definitely. and all that. Oh God, yes. Kinds, oh yeah. I still, I still have to have things regulated all the time. Like, yeah. 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 Um, so I mean, that's amazing to, that, that your counselor, like, listened to you ask the correct right. questions, because that's so necessary. And like, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, she's a professional. So she knows, you know, the steps. But like, I think, like you said, it's, it's really hard to tell somebody like you need mm-hmm. help. And yeah. I think that something that, you know, we try to teach young people, like, it's, it's not something you should put off. It's okay. Like it's better to have a mad friend or a mad, you know, somebody Mm -hmm. who's mad at you than somebody who's no longer here. Like it's so essential, especially today, like to get people to take that next step. And I think it's really wonderful that your parents did it with you as well. And, um, and I don't know about you, but like when I, cause you were saying like how you were trying to find where you best, you know, fit and, um, all the different things that you were interested in. When I went into inpatient, I, for the first time ever, like really felt like this was my place. Like this, not like Mm. I belonged in a hospital for my, you know, like more like 
okay, like I'm not alone. Like I felt like not alone for the first time, like not, you know, I was an individual, right. But like, I also felt like, okay, there are other people who are like me, you know, that struggle like I do and it's not weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I will be straightforward in the fact okay. that my inpatient experience was uh, not, not great. Okay. I mean, it was the conversations I were having were productive. The okay. inpatient experience itself was slightly horrifying. Okay. Uh, because there was no one there my age. I was only oh. seeing grown adults and older people who really had gone unchecked for a while. Mm. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like right now I qualify as someone who needs the same help as this person over here. And I'm a teenager. So I'm like, just trying to like, understand it, like screaming off the walls and knocking on doors and like having conversation. It was, you know, people who are like, you know, severely mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was daunting and it was almost me leaving there going, I would love to work on myself to the point where I would never have to come back here. Um, and find mental health resources that don't meet this threshold of what I need, which was, you know, I don't want to say that going to an inpatient care is like scared straight. No, you need help if you need to go there and you absolutely should. I didn't have a great experience. And I mean, that's work towards not having to go back. Well, that's good. I mean, that's real, right? Like not every experience is real. I was very lucky in my experience, you know, that I had Mm. a good experience. I mean, I went to a definitely care facility, but, um, but that's real. And there's actually like some hospital, like some, like, uh, some organizations and hospital systems that are trying to like develop youth units so Mm -hmm. that it isn't that way that like, you know, 16 year olds are going in and being with, you know, 50 year olds who are at a point where they have are psychotic, you know, and, and because it is daunting and it's, and it's like, um, I know like for, for instance, like when I first tried to get, I I'm, I'm in recovery from alcoholism and addiction. And when I first Mm. tried to get help for my, for my alcoholism and addiction, like I, there was all these people that were had lost, you know, everything in their lives and were, you know, living on the street and, um, and that wasn't where I was at. And so, you know, I just felt like my drinking was out of control, but it wasn't, I hadn't lost anything. I still had my family and my house and my, you know, and so I was like, this isn't, I can't, this isn't for me. Like, this is not, I don't relate to this. So that is, um, so meanwhile, I, I relapsed and then I did lose everything and ended up in, but I mean, you know, so, but meaning that like, that is a reality and it's a, it's a shame that there isn't more opportunities for you know more specialized care i guess yeah um, however that is what danny's job is <laughs> <laughs> no i was just gonna say like i i think it's so interesting to kind of hear like both sides of the spectrum because like so paul i don't know if you know um like my role exactly but i work with um youth who are coming out of um treatment um and i do hear both sides of the story um where one you know their inpatient was more than 
they could have imagined, but also the other end that they didn't have the best time. So it kind of makes me wonder, like, how does that affect people's like healing journey after they get out? Um, So it's just, it makes, it makes me wonder. But I like what you said too, about the fact that it was like almost, well, I don't want to go back there. So what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, I had to go back last year. Um, I did. Uh, it was at the point where, uh, I was choosing to start a new journey for myself after a, um, and dishonest relationship and um a living situation that was toxic and it was time for me to do that things caught up and I kind of lost control and where to go I tried to think long term but I kept going back to like short terms like you have so much to do so much to do and I like just I just thought like my heart was gonna explode it was like one of those things that you know it's like okay you know what I'm here enough to realize that I should I should maybe go get to help and it was the same thing that had happened to me 14 years earlier I got in there and was just horrified mm. and it was like are you okay it's like I'm not but like I need to go find somewhere now that's like consistent yeah. and can like help me long term pull me out of where I'm at here because this isn't good but also where I'm at right now isn't good so like at least it provided safety yes yes I understood the necessity for it and was willing to put my own experiences aside for my own benefit because that that was truly a low yeah because that's like really the number one goal I think of going to a crisis center or something you know it's like just to be safe like I I know I had I mean I'm six years into my almost six years into my recovery um, from alcohol as an addiction, but also meant like my mental illness when it got to the point where I had to go into inpatient, but, and, um, and just, you know, and there's been times over the last few years where I've gotten really, really low. And I like the, the, the beauty of being in recovery is that I know that when I get there, there's something I got to do something about it, you know? And there was one time where I was feeling, and I just kept saying to my parents, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. And, you know, um, luckily I didn't, I mean, in that situation, my parents came over and they took me to my therapist and, you know, and I went to met with my psychiatrist, I got on medication. So I didn't have to go in, but like, that's the thing is like, what you need is just like, Cause you don't even want to say like, I want to die or I want my, you know, like it's hard to even just vocalize what's going on. It's like, I just don't feel safe and yeah. the needing to feel safe is so necessary. And that's really, I think what inpatient or crisis uh, centers provide, if nothing else. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, 100%. So that's definitely been, it was nice when I really needed it as a kid and it was nice when I really needed it as an adult Mm -hmm. I mean I understand like that there are better options there that people can find themselves in that is specialized and need help but I mean when I really really needed it most at least there was something there and one of the things that's been part of my mental health journey is trying to create 
a space that's safe for people to to be able to do soccer and you know relieve those external pressures of you know mental stress so that they never have to get there themselves because I know that I never want to have to go there myself either I know it's an option and it's it's something that can be avoidable if there's a good structure in place for people to be able to get just, those resources. I just have to say, because um, like ever since uh, I started talking um, to, to you guys um, about what you guys do there, um, I think it is so important. Like what you guys are doing is so important because, you know, a lot of times like people really differentiate or like separate like mental and physical health when it's all in one and I think that's like the most beautiful thing that you guys are like really highlighting is that like you have to work on you know both physical and mental health like they I they go hand in hand I just want to jump in real fast because I this is going to be a bigger thing and I think we should take a break right now and then (laughs) come back because I want to be continued yes because I think this is like this is the next chapter right like this is so I want to I want to absolutely take a break and then we'll come back and get into all of this join us next week when we dive into part two of Paul's story I promise you won't want to miss it If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the crisis text line at 741-741. Or go to nami.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone.